You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, episode 21. Did you know there's a mission field in your computer? Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now, let's join your host, Seth Muse, who thinks raccoons could be great pets. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. Today on the show, I am excited to bring a friend of mine from way back in ministry. When I was a youth pastor, I met Lucas Kitchen, and he was in a band, and he did all kinds of interesting creative things with video, and we got to be friends and then kind of lost touch. And then now he's got a ministry that I thought I, I caught up with him on Facebook and just started connect, reconnecting and just thought, wow, this is a really cool thing he's doing. He considers himself an online missionary. And I know that's a, almost an oxymoron. Like, how can you possibly be an online missionary? And he combines online apologetics with videos and it's a really interesting approach to being evangelistic online and just talking to people on a level that's respectful and kind, but also, you know, holding to some truths that are that are that are very evident to us in, as believers, but sometimes don't make sense to those who don't see the world we do the way we do. So Lucas has a really interesting uh, ministry. It's called Questions from Atheists is the big one that we're going to talk about today. We're going to provide all the show notes and all the links for everything we discuss in this podcast at sethmuse.com slash 21. You can go get all these links and find out more about his ministry and what he's doing there and pick up some pointers on how to do this yourselves. I think churches are really struggling to find a way to be discipling and, and evangelistic online, especially in social, because there's so many things there that are kind of kind of tripping that whole process up. So how does he do it? How is it working? Can it be done? That's kind of what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. So let's get to this really great content that I'm excited to bring you. And guys, thank you so much for downloading this every week. If you're listening and you're keeping up and if you want to go give a rating and review, you haven't done that on iTunes or whatever. That's awesome. I appreciate that. There are a lot of people tuning in and man, it is exciting that God is using this. I hope that he's helping you. This content is helping you to to, um, to like make better decisions as you with more confidence, more clarity as you're thrown into more and more situations in ministry you probably didn't prepare for or expect. So this is another one of those situations is how do you talk to people online about your faith without making a big, big mess of things? So let's listen in on my conversation with Lucas. Thanks for being here. Here we go. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is a friend of mine that I knew a long time ago, and we've just reconnected through uh, some online platforms, which is ironic that we're going to be talking about digital apologetics today. Uh, let me introduce you to Lucas Kitchen. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. I'm, I, I'm really excited to talk to you because uh, I, I see you online interacting with people in faith conversations mm, and yeah. having a lot more success at it than, than most people I see do that. But before we get into that, just tell us who you are, what you do, where you're from, just so everybody can get to know you a little bit. Okay. I'm four foot two and 700 pounds. No, not really. Oh, I'm, wow. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an average guy. Um, you, you know, if we met, you'd probably think I was very average, but um, my skill set has led me to do apologetics because of kind of my background. So I grew up in an artist's family. Uh, my dad was a painter and taught 
uh, taught art at the college in the town where we lived. And so we, we always grew up trying to think of ways to use the skills we have to also uh, share our faith. That was just kind of part of part of our upbringing. And so as an adult, that's basically what I do now. I live in Longview, Texas, but um, I talk to people all over the world um, through social media, mostly through our websites uh, that, that we'll talk about probably here in a little bit. Um, but the the conversation opener for us usually is some type of media, whether that's a video or uh, infographic that we've created of various kinds. And so um, for the purpose of today's discussion, that's that's probably a pretty good foundation. That's kind of what we, you know, what I do. And so I have a, a team of supporters that um, that uh, basically cover our bills so that we can do that. People that believe in what we're doing and support us financially so that we can do this uh, this type of work online. And, and it's so cool. Tell me, tell me the name of the website because I think this is a really interesting name. Yes, yeah, so we have we have a number of different websites. Um, the the main website um, right now that um, a lot of our media goes to is called Questions from Atheists. Okay, Questions from Atheists dot com dot com yeah cool questions from atheist right. com yeah so that's where I've kind of picked up on some of the things that you're doing is I see some of those explainer videos that you've made that go out online. Can can you tell us what those are and kind of what sparked that idea? Yeah, you know, I really like that term, by the way, Seth, explainer videos, because I think that ultimately that is what we're doing. We, you know, our responsibility is to is to educate and convince, and that comes through explaining, explaining, uh, you know, a host of things. But for me, it always centers on, I can't say always, but almost Almost everything that we do centers on explaining something about Jesus, whether that's his, you know, his um, historicity or his uh, his character or, you know, um, various things like that. And so we make videos that use sort of an artistic approach to breach those type of subjects. And then that leads into you know, discussions of various kinds uh, through comment threads or uh, hopefully direct messaging. That That's the gold standard for me of really connecting with people is not public but private direct messages because it changes the dynamic of the discussion. Um, right. And, and do you get good interaction with those videos? I mean, what kind of reactions do you get and is it really good or not? Yeah. So I think of all interaction as good, but that doesn't mean all interaction is pleasant. <laughs> so if by good you mean pleasant, I would say, no, it's not always pleasant. Sometimes <laughs> it is pleasant. We do get a lot of pleasant. Um, we get a lot of, hey, way to go, pat on the back. Uh, we get a lot of disagreement, but those uh, disagreement from people who fundamentally disagree is, to me, that's good. What's what ultimately becomes frustrating is disagreement among other believers who disagree about yeah. uh, various points. Uh, you know um, what I would call minor points, things that are not necessarily essential. Um, you know, believers that want to discuss and argue about those kind of things. That's probably the most frustrating negative interaction we have. So pulling back from that and kind of setting that aside, virtually all interaction with someone who is an unbeliever. To me, is positive because we're talking about it. You know, we're discussing it. Um, now that that it's incumbent upon me to have a good um, attitude about that and to approach it with uh, respect and gentleness, as First Peter says. Yeah. But um, 
provided that I'm doing my part, I would say any interaction can be good, even being called names. I mean, to me, you know, it's good in the sense that you're interacting, but it's also good in the sense that Jesus told us that this kind of stuff would happen, you know, that right. uh, said, remember, they'll hate you because they hated me first. You know, and so it's a reminder that, hey, if I'm talking about Jesus and I'm being as respectful and gentle as I can be and people still are upset, then it's likely that's not necessarily Mean. Now, that's not an excuse to be mean and then say, oh, that's just because they hate Jesus. You know, so we still have to be gentle and respectful. But right. beyond that, we know that we're just going to get some some of this type of blowback. And I, I think of that as a good thing. Yeah. And in that, you mentioned that, that a lot of that minor discussion comes from Christians. Do you find that we do a lot of damage that way? Or is that, I mean, you said that's frustrating. Can you unpack that a little bit? What, yeah, sure. what are we doing that among ourselves that's hurting this process? Um, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think of it this way. Um, let's say that I went with my family to a public event, and then we, among my family members, began to call each other names and argue about really private matters. Um, that's what I feel like Christians debating and arguing in public is like. Now, I think discussion needs to happen. If there's disagreement, we really need to get better at dealing with our disagreement, which comes through debate and discussion. Yeah. But I think that's a private matter. I think doing that publicly where unbelievers are watching us, it's not that we're hiding the fact that we do it. It's just a matter of doing it out of, you know, out of a, a place of respect. And, you know, and so if I have a disagreement with you, Seth, I, I shouldn't do it publicly, I don't think. I think... Um, you know, even even Scripture talks about you go privately first when there's when there's a problem between two believers. Um, and at some point, you reach a thing where you might have to publicly say, "Hey, we disagree," but I don't think the discussion leading up to that probably has to happen publicly. So your question was, "Are we doing damage?" I think yes. I think yes. I cringe uh, pretty often at the types of things that other Christians say to yeah. kind of my atheist constituency, I guess. So uh, I'll give you an example. The other day, um, there was a discussion going on, and there was this believer person who was uh, discussing with probably an atheist, maybe an agnostic, and uh, they weren't seeing eye to eye. And so the Christian person said to the the agnostic, well, since Satan is your father, you just wouldn't understand any of this. Ouch. And, you know, I thought, okay, that's exactly what we don't Want is it technically true? Well, I mean, Jesus said things like that to the Pharisees, but he's Jesus, and I'm sure he had the right context and the right tone and the right attitude. When we do it, I think most of the time we're doing it out of uh, a defeated sort of uh, attitude. Yeah, you know? especially online, it comes from a very frustrated place instead of yeah. a, a loving kind of place, and yeah, yeah, it, it is definitely ugly. I, I know that when my friends start to argue online about some of that stuff. It's, it's so hard not to weigh in because everybody has opinions about this kind of thing, yeah. but it, it, to hold back and go, you know what, I'm just going to stay out of it or, yeah. or it eventually, you know, what I tend to do sometimes is become the troll of the conversation <laughs> and just try to make fun of both yeah. of them. So maybe it'll make it lighter and they'll stop to argue. You know, it's that simple, like when two people are arguing, you want to lighten the mood by doing something sure, funny, yeah. you know? So it's kind of like, there's, there's just, it is ugly online. It is difficult. But when you're talking to somebody who is adamantly against, like who is not a believer, who you say fundamentally disagrees, 
What are some of those uh, responses that you typically get? Is it is it like we we disagree with uh, your facts or we disagree with your your interpretation of those facts? Uh, what, what does it normally look like when you see disagreement? Yeah, sure. Uh, all of the above. Um, yeah, so there's there's the fundamental um, sort of what I would think of as like a binary disagreement, meaning completely it's all wrong. There's the sort of continuum disagreement, which is like I agree with you to some extent, but not on all of the points. I mean you can't – like uh, to me, belief is a yes/no. It's not a little bit or a lot. It's so if somebody sort of partially agrees with you, it's not that they partially agree on any one point. It's that they agree or disagree on a number of your points, but on a number of your points they don't. And so that's what we find is those kinds of uh, those kinds of sort of partial agreements. Um, yeah. The, and, yeah. Go ahead. And, and on that, is it is it. I mean, how do you go about having a nuanced discussion about yeah. some of this? When, Because, I mean, so many people do this kind of chain lightning thing where it's like, oh, if you don't believe that, then you must also not believe this. And it becomes about something else. And then you're, you've kind of lost track of where you're even disagreeing. And it's confusion. So, yeah. I mean, do, do you find that to be something that happens a lot? And if so, like, how do you kind of keep it keep it focused? Yeah, that's that is a really important question. And so for listeners, I want to I want to put like an emphasis flag on this. This is something I see as a, a real problem with the way that discussions go. Um, it's sort of the dog chasing the squirrel mentality that anything that comes up, people feel like if I disagree, I have to sound off. I have to I have to, you know, draw the line in the sand on every subject that I disagree. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think and this is my opinion, but I, I think it's supportable that we need to we need to draw down what our essentials are. And so the way that I've taught this at, you know, if I'm speaking or something, is I'll, I'll show concentric circles. Like it sort of looks like a target. And in the middle, we, we have a very small list of essential things, uh, essential subjects. For me, the thing that I put in the center is Jesus and a few aspects about Jesus. That is the essential thing. And until that is set up, I mean, as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that's the foundation. It's Christ. And so until that's set up, I do not debate other subjects with that particular person. Um, I do not debate, for instance, evolution with somebody that doesn't first believe in Jesus because there's no point. I could convince them maybe, maybe, that evolution doesn't work or something on along those lines, but that doesn't mean they've become a believer. Exactly. So, so to me, I stay silent on most subjects. I mean like 99% of subjects until somebody has built that foundation of believing in Christ. And once they've done that, then we can start to branch out to the less essential subjects. But you don't talk about non-essential subjects with non-disciples. It's just it's just a matter of, you know, how a student and a teacher relationship works or a student and student relationship works. You you focus on the things that are essential. And so for me, I have to remind myself of that often, but it's just kind of built into the the paradigm of how I I discuss. And so my method, so the, the question is how, do, how methodologically how do you do that? For me, 
I ask a ridiculous amount of questions. Now, if you're looking at comment threads, you may not you may not catch this. So I don't always do it this way in comment threads. But my goal is to take somebody from a comment thread and move them to a personal discussion and move them to a private message format. That's where the real connection of minds happens. And so once we're in a private conversation, what I do is I ask a ridiculous amount of questions. And they can be any kind of questions, not like inquisition questions, but like, hey, what's your favorite color? Who's your, who's your, your favorite band? You know, whatever. Getting to know the person, building a relationship, building a rapport, letting them know I really do care about the types of things that they're thinking and they're, they're wondering. And in, in that, in that phase, I don't disagree with people. I mean, I don't say I agree with you. I just I let them talk, 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 talk. And so what happens then at some point when I've asked, you know, a dozen or 50 or 100 questions and the conversation's been going on a couple of weeks, at some point they turn around and say, what about you? What do you think? And there's the opening. And at that point, I'll share some some ideas. I'll talk about Jesus a bit, of course. And then if they seem receptive, we'll, we'll continue to move in that direction. If they shut down or clamp down on that, I go back to question mode. And so in, in that kind of style, that phase, that conversation can go on. I mean, I have some conversations that have been going on for years in, in that, yeah. that sort of phase. Every once in a while, we talk about Jesus, and then we kind of peel back a little bit, and we talk about other things. And so for me— that seems to be the that seems to be the way to deal with it is to stay focused on what they're interested in talking about until they're ready to hear it and yeah. then you know and so we're building sort of the connective tissue of relationship while we're preparing to talk about Jesus and so that's that's my philosophy on it. I'm sure there's probably better debaters that just charge in to debate, but I'm not really a great debater. I'm, I'm, you know, that's not really my thing, but I'm pretty good at making friends. And so to me, that is kind of where I've landed is let's focus on connecting with people, making them feel valued and really valuing them and really caring about them. I'm better at yeah. that than I am debating. Yeah. And, and so that's just what I do. I'll tell you what I'm hearing is, it's really great. And just to clarify it and kind of sum up, I mean, you're, you see yourself as an online missionary and, and yeah. I think a lot of people view themselves that way, but don't actually practice like a missionary. Uh, yeah. you know, a lot of that is charge in and convince them right now. And what yeah. you're doing is you're putting in the long legwork online that a missionary might do. I mean, a missionary moves to another country. They learn the language. They learn the culture. They mm, make yeah. friends. They get a job. Yeah. They get involved. And a lot of times online, what I see is kind of what I'm, I'm the, the counterculture that you're describing is that we don't get involved. We just I, I see your idea. Your idea is stupid. I'm going to tell you why it's dumb. And yeah. then I'm going to move yeah, on exactly. and I'm never going to see you again. And I think you feel like we're being sniped from the hillside versus meeting a new friend that we have something in common with. And it's easier to be angry and mean to people you don't really know. Yeah, You know, exactly. it's disconnected. And that relationship yeah. you're talking about, I think if we all kind of saw it that way, especially like like me, a social media manager uh, representing a church, uh, you know, thinking about how I interact with people in the form of relationship as a pastor, as a missionary to this area I'm in right now. Yeah. I mean, that changes how you interact and it should. And yeah. I think you see a lot more long, 
long-term relationship, a lot more of uh, the, just the legwork put in. So yeah. I, th- I think that's brilliant. I think that's really great. And in that, I wanted to ask you this. Have you actually seen people come to Christ through an online interaction? You know, that is, like, that is the million-dollar question. Yeah, it's know? like how do, you, um, how do you gauge that? Well, so I, in particular, I'm, I'm convinced that um, someone can believe and become, you know, uh, be given everlasting life in a moment and it not, it not be announced. You know, there's no aisle uh, to walk down in, uh, you know, in the Internet mission field. That's and true. so That's what true. we don't know is how we've affected the people that don't respond. What we do know is the way that we've affected people to do respond with comments and things like that. So the kind of comments we get are, um, most of them are not like, um, Hey, I became a believer today. They're more like, Hey, I've, I've been a believer for a long time or I was raised in church and this really helped me or, um, those kind of things. And so while it is apologetics, it is evangelism in the traditional sense. What we're hearing is it seems to be benefiting believers. And I think the reason for that, people that are already believers, I should say, and I think the reason for that is because the church has in the past, well, at least while I've been alive, the church has really kind of pulled back from spending much time in the apologetics area. And so when there's internet apologetic stuff going on, people that go to a normal church, they're not hearing it at their church so much, but they really soak it up when they, when they hear it online, because that's where most people learn stuff now. So that's the kind of comments we're getting. Um, offhand, I can't think of a single person that said, Hey, we, we became, you know, I became a believer because of this, but I can think of a dozen or so that have sent these very effusive kind of messages to us that we really appreciate what you're doing. And, um, we just, we love it. And it really helps. I had a guy send a message that said he sent one of our videos to a friend and he said, his friend reported to him that I've been in church for you know all my life. And in all my years, that one video did me more good than all those years of church. And I thought, man, get in another church. <laughs> yeah. Know, that's a, that's a that, church. That, that brings up an issue, you know, like is, is, are the churches doing, are we truly equipping our people to live in this culture that we live in now? I think we, yeah, personally, and I'll just soapbox here for a second, you know, as a church minister and on staff um, for, for a long time, I remember when I first started youth ministry, my whole youth ministry was about Acts chapter two. It was hmm. purpose driven. You know, it was, let's yeah. find all these things. Let's have ministry and fellowship and all those things that Rick Warren was all about, which are great. And we talked about having everything in common and we, we had all these ideas and now I think we, as a, as a culture, have kind of moved past that because the culture is not asking that, why aren't you relevant anymore? You know, why aren't you, you know, why don't you make sense? You know, why aren't you helping? I think the church does help. Right now, I think what they're asking is something more applicable to Acts 17, which is where Paul goes to the Areopagus and he talks about the statue of the unknown God. And he actually does yeah. apologetics and says, let me explain kind of what you know uh, culturally and clarify it for what I know spiritually. And here's how they connect. And here's where you've almost got it, you know, and here's where we connect. Here's this common ground. And it's very apologetic in how he does that. And yeah. I think that now the churches that are really seeing growth are the ones that are, that are embracing Acts 17 type ministry where yeah. it's outwardly focused instead of the kind of honestly inwardly focused of Acts 2, where it's everybody coming in. Well, now it's Acts 17. Let's go out to where they are. Yeah. And it's very different mentality. And I see that online as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, I mean, we have a, we have an unbreakable relationship with whatever church the person that we're talking to has access to. So by and large, most churches, when you walk in a church, their starting point is um, with the presupposition that Scripture is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And there are so many steps that the church through history has taken to get to that point. The idea that we would start at that point for someone who's who's completely unchurched is a little crazy because they walk in and say, what is the Word of God? I don't even know what that is. I don't know how you decided that this book is the magic book. I don't know how any of these things. And so if you look at if you look at the uh, the trend, at least in the states, and this is happening in other parts of the world too, but especially in the states, starting in the '60s, uh, mid '60s, um, the number of religiously unaffiliated um, individuals began to rise. Mm-hmm. And in the under, I'm doing this from memory, so you know, fact checkers, you know, maybe put a comment or something if I get these wrong, but this is <laughs> general idea is that those that are under 30 right now in that age bracket, about 40% of them were raised unaffiliated with any religion. Now they may have sort of Christian Judeo morals, but they don't necessarily know where those morals came from. They don't necessarily know anything about the Bible, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when those people walk into a church they might or they might not be able to accept the idea that the Bible is the Word of God. And so what we're doing is we're trying madly, because it's really needed, I think, we're trying to fill that gap. I want to be the on-ramp between someone deciding that they need to look into this whole Jesus thing and the moment they walk in church. I want to try to prepare people for that moment when they walk in and their pastor says, here's the Word of God and here's what it says. They need to know, they, they have some steps before they're ready for that. And what I would love to see is churches embrace that and back the whole truck up and say, let's start here. Let's start at ground yeah. zero and build up. But that's a lot to ask of a pastor who's already really stretched. And yeah. so, you know, we're trying, um, you know, we're, we're trying to build resources that pass, that even pastors can use, videos that uh, kind of fill those gaps, videos and articles and stuff like that, that kind of fill those gaps because they're really growing in the size, uh, the, the, I guess I'd say the separation between uh, that first step into a church and ground zero. So yeah. that's and, my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's great. And bring, bridging that gap to the church, you know, how the church can behave online and how the church can engage. Do you see oh, yeah. it? Do you see it as valuable for a church, like from a church page, a church Facebook page, a church Instagram account to, to dive into some apologetics as an organization or is it better for us to do that as staff members personally on our own from our own pages? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I've I've really gone around in circles on this one and tried different things. And I I, uh, I have some opinions, but I don't know that I could give you uh, you know absolutes. But here's here's kind of my my sense of it is that. Christianity. Now, I'm taking Christianity as a whole here, so I'm including all denominations and even, even, you know, whatever. Just all of Christianity from an outsider's viewpoint, it's a majority religion now, and so 
mm-hmm. working from an administrative majority like this, um, you know, almost like this Roman Empire style of system, sort of trying to disseminate that down to individuals and trying to convince them, that, hey, it is good. It's 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 good, even though there's a lot of us and we're, you know, you feel ostracized, you know, when I kind of come from this place of, you know, power and majority down to down to you. I think that's a little intimidating, you know. So if you if you feel like you're arguing with a big organization, a big church, I think you're more likely to be hardened toward that, to be yeah. because it's easier to be hardened toward an organization, a government, a system. It's it's easier to be hardened in that sense than it is to be hardened against an individual who has kids and, you know, maybe lives in your neighborhood or something yeah. like that. I actually want to I have to mention Star Wars here. Uh, this is a great illustration oh, of, uh, you know, it's like when Luke decides he's not going to kill Vader. He's his father. It's like, man, this is not a faceless yeah. monster. There's a man in there, and, he, yeah. and that man is valuable. And yeah. when he finally removes the mask at the end, it's like father and son reunited, and they see each other for who they are. And it's and it's really a good, I think, picture of what you just described in an extremely nerdy way uh, to see how, you know, when you are talking as a organization, you are not that you're a faceless monster. That's not really what I want to portray the church as, but you know what I mean? It's like you're a yeah. faceless organization. You can seem like a monster to someone. You can seem scarier. It's why Batman is terrifying. You know, he's wearing the mask, you know, he's this yeah. image. It's, it's scary. But it's a, just a guy, you know, and just like in the Darth Vader suit, there's a guy, you know, and, and it's like behind every church social media, there's a guy or a girl out yeah. there. It's a real person that cares. And when you mouth off and say mean things to the church, you really hurt their feelings. The church yeah. doesn't really feel it. It's exactly right. And yeah. vice versa. When we say things that hurt that to, to people as a church, it, it can harden those hearts yeah. so fast. I think that's a great insight. Yeah. So, you know, the second, the second half of your question was, should churches engage? And I think, I think the answer is undeniably yes. It's just a matter of how they engage. And so I think what the, the power in the church is not their administrative name. It's not, I, I, I go to a church called Cypress Valley Bible Church, and it's got a reputation in our town, but that's not really the power of our church. The power of our church is 500 individuals who all have a thousand friends on Facebook good grief, imagine that network, yeah. you know? So if all of them got this, you know, this passion for talking about Jesus online, it would it would at least create a buzz around the city we live in, you know? We expect the organization of a church to be talking about Jesus, you know? We already expect that. But individuals doing it, individuals who have something to lose, reputation, face, you know, whatever, that's powerful. You know, that is, right. and I think, you know, when you look at the early church, especially those guys had a huge amount to lose. You know, when they, when they refused to say, you know, Caesar is Lord and there is only one name under heaven by which men are saved and it's Julius Caesar, they were going to take it on the chin for that. And so people recognize that they, they recognize, gosh, if, if they are willing to stand up in this, in these kind of conditions, there must be something to this, you know? And so it's nothing for the church to you know, to be ridiculed because it's a big organization, but for individuals, man, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so one of my roles as a person doing internet mission work is to be the person that gets made fun of. That is my role. That's one of my roles is to be the guy that is giving up something 
publicly showing myself to be giving up something so that people around will look and say, well, there must be something to that because I don't think Lucas is just crazy. I don't think he's just lost his mind, but he is getting made fun of a lot and he still comes back for more. So what is it behind all this? You know, so that's, that's part of our role as individuals is to be ready for that as, you know, as people who are actively following Christ. Um, wow. so yeah, that's awesome. Uh, incredibly well said. Thank you for that. I love that, that I'm willing to give something up. I mean, following Christ should cost us something, even online. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's yeah. where we give up and we sacrifice and we'd be willing to go into some of these conversations and do it right. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, great. If we, if we won every argument, we're losing, you know, and exactly. we need to be accused of things. We need to be, now I'm not saying accused of things we've actually done. Yeah. But we need not to, crazy we need some stuff. failures. Yeah, we need some failures so that people can see how we react to failure. That's how we draw people in. And that's I've gotten a number of con this sounds like bragging, but I'm I'm hoping that it will spark other people. I've gotten a number of people that say, I just couldn't I just couldn't do it because, you know, they're so mean. And I'm thinking, that's the point. If they weren't mean, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. You know, it wouldn't what would we be getting? You know, so um yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I I love this. I love this whole thing that you're doing. And uh, I want to make sure everybody can get a hold of some of these resources. I know I've shared a couple of your videos and I've been made fun of for it. I mean, immediately. All right. That's it, what I'm talking about. I share it. I mean, it's like, this is stupid. These facts yeah. are wrong and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think I shared, it was the one on uh, Jesus's story being like the story of Horus from the Egyptian yeah. mythology. Yeah. And, you know, while I, what was really interesting is someone I know who has told me that before came in and actually defended my position that this is a far-fetched idea. Said, really? Yeah. Probably because they had researched it themselves. They had. And it was like, this This is a great <laughs> This is a great day. You know, it's like, wow, thank you for validating me. Because it's somebody I care about. You know, I, yeah. I value his opinion. And, you know, to come in and say, yeah, you know what? To see that he's he's kind of through our conversations privately, you know, been able to to talk through some of this and kind of research and go, yeah, you know what? This is because we know each other. And, yeah. and we know each other well. And so it yeah. was that relationship that caused us to be able to listen to what he said things too before that made me go, you know what? I just, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. You know, that Christian, yeah. I don't know if we have that right. And you might be right about that. So, you know, those relationships, whether they're offline or online, I think that's where it all starts and ends right there. And I think you're right yeah. on. So tell us where we can get some of these resources. Where can we find you and find questions from atheists? Okay, well, I'll tell you, the the main website is called questionsfromatheist.com. Um, for some reason, um, people swap it pretty often into questionsforatheist.com. Let's be careful about that. It's questionsfromatheist.com. <laughs> um, but really where the beehive is happening, uh, where the, most of the activity is happening, is on our Facebook page. And so it's it carries the same name. It's called Questions from Atheists. You can find that on Facebook. We're also on YouTube. Um, but the, but like I said, most of, most of the activities on Facebook, we're also on Twitter, if you can believe that, but most of the activities on Facebook. So, uh, if you're on Facebook, it's, you know, come on by and, you know, see what's happening. I mean, throw some rocks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we're making it sound like we're taking, we're, we're getting our teeth knocked out every day. I mean, 
there's at least one mean comment each day, but you know, usually there's, there's plenty to be excited about, you know? So, um, so what we've, uh, what we've been told by a few people that, um, use our resources is that it just, it's a really great way to start a conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not a conversation ender. We hope, we hope it's a conversation beginner. Uh, you know, the, so most of what we do is videos, uh, animated, illustrated videos. We also have some teaching videos, but what I've noticed is if I put my face on it, if I get on camera, uh, only about a tenth of the amount of people will watch it. So, so our animated <laughs> stuff seems to be um, really seems to be more uh, more popular. Well, that's great. And again, thanks, Lucas, for coming by, and I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, sir. Well, before we get going, I've got a, a special little section we always do called Five on the Spot. I'm going to ask you five random, unrelated questions that are just stupid okay. and ridiculous. No politics, I promise. Uh, okay. and, and just answer them quick fire as best you can. All right. So I'm assuming you read Babylon B, right? Are you familiar with uh, Babylon B? That's funny. I was just thinking about it today. Yeah, I, I, I was looking at something they did. Yeah. Uh, question one: What's your favorite Babylon B article? I read one today that uh, <laughs> it was a funny little deal. Uh, a woman returns a Bible because uh, after looking through it, she realized that. Um, it must have been misprinted because it doesn't have the sinner's prayer in it. Yes, yeah, that was a clever little, <laughs> a clever little thing. I thought that was pretty, pretty savvy. Oh man, sometimes they'll they they will nail the politics pretty hard, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, we're getting a little. But most of the time, man, I I love those guys. But yeah, that's not fun. something you can share from your church page usually. Yeah, yeah. What are you saying? Is this? Are you saying? (laughs) No, it's satire. We're just having fun. It's just a funny thing. Like, like that's always the first comment. It's like, I can't believe you posted this, and then it's just satire. (laughs) Is the next comment? Like, they ought to just put that in every headline. (laughs) Just go ahead and put the first two comments. Such a tough place to be in when you think about it in Christian satire, where you making fun of yourself. But I think it's really valuable because, like, we need to let people know, hey. We can have fun, and we don't always have to take ourselves so incredibly seriously. Exactly. It's it's why one of my favorite books is uh, Stuff Christians Like by John Acuff, which was a blog. Hmm. And it's the same kind of thing. It's it's just kind of looking introspectively at the Christian experience and going— isn't some of this kind of silly what we do? You know, isn't some of this? I mean, it all has a good place and all that. Not saying it we shouldn't, but it's it's really funny. And, you know, and if you grow up in the youth group, especially, you'll really appreciate it. So I, I love Johnny Cuff stuff. All right, question two: best way to fight a bear? What, fight. What's the best way to fight a bear? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I've, I've put some thought into this. Um, so let's say that you don't have a pack of hunting dogs with you. And let's also say that the bear hasn't been detoothed and declawed. Right. So, assuming those things are the case, uh, what you need is um, you need to get into the fetal position and guard anything you value. Now, the bear is going to probably eat you. I mean, it's probably going <laughs> to eat you, right? Probably. But. That's what, what bears do. What you're going for at this point is you want to make sure he doesn't swallow uh, anything that your family can identify in your remains. So, like, you want to guard your teeth. You want to guard, you know, any uh, <laughs> anything like that. So, you just at this point, you just you're just trying to get your family to uh, recognize the remains. Um, so, what? The, how is that fighting a bear? Well, you win because. Um, no, I, I lost the train of thought. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's like 
yes, you can curl up in the fetal position, and yes, he's going to eat you, but the only way you win is he's not going to enjoy it. So as soon as I get in there, I'm going to start trying to make myself as big as possible in his throat and just try to make it painful going down. And just punch, yeah. punch his esophagus on the way down. Yeah, go in spine first. <laughs> nobody likes eating a spine. No, I mean, nobody likes that. That's gross. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you, you put something good out of that. I, I was I was sort of floundering. That, that worked out okay. The other alternative is make yourself as big as possible. And then step two is be eaten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they yeah. both end up with well, you being eating. So Don't eat Big Macs for years before you meet the bear. <laughs> make it hard. Rival him in. Yeah. yeah. Be fat good. or be fast. Either way, you know. <laughs> yeah, <I think> so. <laughs> That's a tweet. That's a tweetable moment. I like that. Yeah. Ways to fight a bear. Be fat or be fast. <laughs> All right. Well, who's your favorite? Question three. Who's your favorite theologian to quote? Mm. A little more serious question. This one is going to be this one. This one may not be recognizable by a lot, but a guy named Zane Hodges. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No, I haven't. Uh, you look up his stuff. It's, it's interesting. He um, he's a hardline free grace guy, but brilliant. He he taught um, he taught Greek for like twenty seven years at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Cool. Well, what's uh, what's something one of the craziest things that have ever happened to you in ministry? Something that you were like, wow, I can't believe that that just happened. I used to work at a church in, uh, well, I won't tell you where. Yeah. It was a big church. It was big enough to have three stories, and I, I was leading a youth group at the time. And uh, come to find out, while I was uh, on the third floor talking to the other students about uh, Jesus, there was a group of uh, kids that would go to the second floor because it was dark, and they would just mate like bunnies, apparently. And oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So that's going on. And wow. so luckily I was a young guy at the time. I wasn't married yet. I was in college. Um, and so, uh, luckily we had this, this great administrative assistant lady who was also really passionate about the youth group. She would, you know, she worked and she just said, I'll take care of it. That'll never happen again. And she did. I don't know what she did, but, uh, <laughs> she, so made, kinda, she made, she yeah. made them disappear. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> they're probably, you know, buried in somewhere. I don't so, all right. Well, last question. Uh, when is the best time for tacos? Is it dinner or is it always? Well, now are we talking about, no, I'm not, I'm not into just any tacos, but it's interesting you ask, ask this. My, my go-to place is Taco Bueno. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I have been known to eat Taco Bueno more than once in a day, uh, <laughs> For as many meals as I can pack into this this body, you know. So, like, if my yeah. wife is out of town, for instance, uh-huh. and I'm just kind of man about the house, I don't want to cook. Man, I'll go there two or three times a day. Yeah, I do the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> I do that same thing. When my wife and kids go, I'm like, hey, it looks like it's fast food weekend. Yeah, oh, exactly. If right, I have to stay yeah. here for something, I'm the same way. Yeah. All right. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, man. I really appreciate this conversation and uh, I just love what you're doing. So I'll continue to pray for you and we'll try to connect with you at questionsfromatheist.com. Just thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you, sir. I loved it. It was fun.